Welcome to the Happy Whole You Podcast. I'm Anna Marie Frank, a doctor of traditional naturopathy and certified brain health professional. Now, those of you that know Happy Whole You, you know that we are all about health and well-being. And we combine all the physical aspects, nutritional aspects, as well as the energetic and emotional aspects to well-being. So on this podcast, you guys, you are going to get a variety of information with different topics that can range from brain health all the way to how your energy field impacts your overall health and well-being. Now, let me remind you that we are not giving medical advice on this podcast, and these are just our personal experiences and information that we are sharing. If you do have any physical or any mental challenges going on in your life, we highly recommend that you seek a medical professional that you have a strong relationship with. All right, you guys, we are going to get started. So here we go. Welcome to the show today, you guys. I have a leader on the show today. Her name is Jen McCarran, and she serves as the Director of Legal Operations and Technology at Netflix, where she leads a team focused on strategic financial management, technology, and innovations. She also serves on the Clock Board of Directors and is the host of their Legal Transformation themed podcast called Clock Talk, which you'll hear us talking about today on the show. She also earned her Bachelor's of Science in Business Administration, her Bachelor of Arts in Economics, and she has a master's degree in social work from the State University of New York at Albany. And I'm excited to have her on today, you guys. We're going to talk about transformational leadership. She's going to share a little bit about her story. And she's also an artist. Very interesting lady and just an amazing human. So here we go. All right, Jen, thank you so much for joining us today on the Happy Holy Podcast. Anna Marie, thanks for having me on today. <laughs> so you and I just kind of bumped into each other in a hallway in Vegas. And yeah, the rest is history. No. So it was a really cool opportunity. You were the MC for the Clock International Conference. Yeah, it's global a global conference. Global conference for a global industry trade group focused on legal operations, legal technology, the somewhat niche corner of the world that has a really fun, passionate <laughs> conference and community of 4,000 people. Oh my gosh. The community there was amazing. I'll yeah. say that. I came in as a speaker to talk about brain health and met so many great people, including yourself. Yes. And so we bumped into each other in the hallway and then we literally had a quick conversation about brain health. Yes. And it was so cool how you were just like, it's like, you know, all the things and all the secrets, but you continue to grow and you're interested in learning yes. more about all of that. Yes. So what can you share with everyone, you know, where you were before you got this, I want to say this brain that is all about leading and this brain that is all about discovering and being curious is yeah. what I love about you. Yeah. You know, before, where was I before I got that brain or where, what's that brain? Cause I have that brain. So my, my dad is a, he had like a guidance counselor degree, but didn't work in it, but he has that ear thing, that empathy EQ. He's like a heavy listener can guide and counsel psychology oh. thing. He got a master's in social work and then worked in that field for a while. And he, in, in a 
moment of being lost in my young 20s, I was like, Dad, what should I do? Should I go to art school or social work school? This corporate thing is blah. And he goes, go to social work school. I was like, really? So I go to social work school because I have that thing. I, I have the ear that can listen, hypersensitive ear that can listen, empathize, which is like actually feel it with someone, then walk alongside them in a moment and they don't feel alone. And I can go, that's sadness or sounds like you're anxious. Like I just have that. And I think that is a genetic thing. My sister has it too. My brother didn't get it. And- <laughs> And of all of us in field, he works in a field he needs it the most. He's a lawyer and he needs that. And he doesn't have it, but he's a smart guy. So we, yeah. <laughs> we let him buy. So this focus and passion about human psychology comes with all of that. And I did a master's in social work and really got to dive into that academically for a few years and just light up and understand this, how people work. Mm-hmm. How do people work? How do, what does this mood thing mean? What does neuroplasticity mean? What is, how do our brains work? How do you help people go from A to B or B to C and road plan that or roadmap that with people? I, I learned some of that academically because I knew I had it in me. And look, I didn't stay in that field, obviously. I jumped all around, but that's in there. And who knew that that focus and that study would help me in my leadership role in a this cool corporate job I have at Netflix, transforming legal people to work better and faster and smarter. It's And leadership is so much about psychology more than it is like tactical spreadsheets, mm-hmm. although I have a few spreadsheets. <laughs> yeah. And I love how you say that because it is truly not about, it's not about the spreadsheets. It's not about this person goes in this box, this person does ABC, and then there's this box. You like are reading between the lines, which yeah. is, it's a skill. And it's, it's something like you said, like it just, you were born with it. Like, it's like something that you've been able to develop. So Jen, you are really all about transformative leadership. And I think some people would confuse and think, oh, well, it's leadership. Like leadership is leadership. But I think you have a distinct difference between transformative leadership and what you're doing and creating versus, you know, just traditional what we say, quote unquote, is leadership. Yeah. So I think there's two flavors here. If we talk about transformational leadership at the macro level, so the job or industry I'm in as a leader, it's transformational work macro wise, because me and the team are changing how a group of people call them legal in-house corporate, that's lawyers, that's legal professionals. We're changing how they work, how they approach their work, how they produce their work, the tools they use, and therefore the, the mindset they step up to a tool with, the skills, the emotions, macro, transformational. We're taking them to a better future and leaving something behind, hence the transform. And then my personal flavor in a micro sense is I'm someone who's really good at being uncomfortable and really good at sitting in an uncomfortable space, mining my own blind spots, navigating my own past and self and behaviors that are good and great and poor and what doesn't work in me and making that better. And then I do the same with the people I lead. So they're really uncomfortable too. (laughs) I try to set place for them to sit with me and go, yes, it makes sense to be uncomfortable in in your role on this team at this company at this time. 
80% of the time. Are you uncomfortable? Great. This means you're growing. You want to grow. You want to become a senior manager, enterprise leader in tech delivery. Cool. Trust me in the process and let's go there. You should be uncomfortable and always stepping out of that zone where you operate so you can grow. Which I've got to jump in here. So it's like like old school mindset, like yeah. old bosses. I you know, and I think we need to there's a really big difference between a boss and a leader. I know. Right. And I think, you know, especially when you know you're young and you're first in your profession, I think there can be sometimes this misconception that your boss is your leader. And it's unfortunate when you have a boss that isn't a leader. Yeah. And, you know, navigating kind of around that is it's really interesting because I've had bosses that when I went into my profession, I was like, I looked to them as my leader. So in other words, I just followed them. Yeah. Right. I just did, I never asked questions. And then it was always like, you didn't want to be wrong. You didn't want to show that you made a mistake. It was like almost viewed as like this bad thing if you made a mistake or you didn't know something. Sure. And so what I think I'm hearing you say is like, hey, we're learning make mistakes. Make, yeah. Like slam this thing into a wall. Come and then and with me and what happens to be me fitting in very well with a Netflix innovative way of doing things is come back to me and tell me what you learned. And and let's stand on a mountaintop together and shout out what mm. we learned because a lot of mistakes can be the compass if we let them be the compass to the direction to what's right, what's a success. And people don't like that. It's uncomfortable. It's it's sometimes humiliating to make that mistake. Sometimes it's great. You're like, that tech thing didn't work. We're going right. But sometimes it's absolutely humiliating. And those moments really can build you if you let them. But no, I, and I get it. People don't like being uncomfortable, but I try to <laughs> the more I talk out loud about this, about my leadership style, people must hear that and go, oh God, I could never work for her. Like you have to like this yeah. to fly with me and and to fly up into a better mm -hmm. version of yourself, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It's getting comfortable being uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. You gotta, you gotta live there and be in a lot of, I don't know most more of the time than not. That's, I feel like I'm comfortably in the, I don't know, see a lot of the time in my role now. Yeah. And that's actually the secret. I'm like already ready to go to the secret of life, but that is the secret <laughs> of life that it is. Yeah. It's, it's like having a really comfortable respect for what you don't know and, knowing how large that is and being in the right position around that. Yeah, that's so powerful. And and being curious and open to the lessons. Mm -hmm. I know on my personal journey, my greatest successes have come and continue to come an uncomfortable space of what some people would view as failure. But I look at it as, oh, it just, that didn't work out. Okay. How do we shift this or what do, what's, what's now? What do I do next? Right? Yes. Yes. That, that, that sounds like the score to my whole twenties, what you just <laughs> said. Like I felt like the whole, the whole decade was just like, <laughs> if I can, if I were captioning the photo, it'd be, huh? <laughs> I didn't know. And I wasn't locked into career in some really, uh, I know what I want. I know what I'm doing angular way. And I have the corporate job and the LinkedIn story. Nope. It was uh, a lot of zagging and it was very uncomfortable. 
and figuring things out by crossing off the list yeah of uh you know roles companies uh vocations people the people that we surround ourselves with in our communities it was a lot of movement yeah and i think that zigging and zagging it's in that uncomfortableness is what allows us to grow right I work with a lot of different people. And earlier I had a call actually with a lady for, or it was the first time just she's interested in doing some coaching with me and she's 49 years old and she's been in a career since she got out of school for um, a variety of different things that she's not doing now. Bless her. And she's like, I don't know what I've been doing with my life. And this is like almost 30 years. Yeah. So she right? just looked, came up for air at 49 and was like, hi, yeah, can you, hi. Can you coach me through who the hell I am? <laughs> but it's like, she knows she has this knowing, but she allowed herself to be not uncomfortable, right? She allowed herself to go to a safe, safe job in which this is no judgment of people can no. do this. I've done this before. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But it's, it's like when we're in that quote unquote safe space, that's actually, I believe, is a dangerous space where you no longer are growing and you're yeah. just day to day doing the same thing. It's like Groundhog's Day yeah. over and over. And I just, so many people are, you know, they're, it's their talent, it's their purpose, and they're not sharing that with the world anymore when they do that. Yeah. I look, I get routine and mm-hmm. I love routine and I eat the same thing for breakfast every day. <laughs> And I'm so attached to my breakfast that my wife marvels at like how consistent and disciplined I am. I love that. And that's my version of, I don't do well. If I have to go out of my comfort zone on breakfast, it's a weird day for me. And I, I might throw a mood. Yeah. Um, but in that com- story you just told of that person, that that's my nightmare is waking up one day and not knowing who I am. Or maybe I did that when I was 25 and I went to work then. That's when the work started on wait, what is all of, what is beneath the surface? What do, what haven't I talked about or worked on? What is that house I grew up in? What is this behavior I'm having? Why am I partying so much? All the things I, I started exploring in me in a deeper level when I was 25. I needed those years to work all that stuff out and understand more. And I, I couldn't do it coming into a corporate job every day then. I, I needed a lot of space and a lot of freedom to maneuver. And that's that's actually when I played music for a living. This is me uh, playing guitar, air guitar. <laughs> And working it out that way, a lot of stuff worked out that way, vocationally and and emotionally, because there's a lot to us as humans. And yeah, but you know, you can wake up at 49 and you can, you could get it on then yeah, and and find it. It's, it's, thank God it's happening for her then. Yeah. Yeah. It's never too late. And like, what a blessing that yours was at 25, right? Like, that's cool. Like, that's awesome. It's cool looking back, but. Anna Marie, if you were there with me. Oh, yeah. When you're in it, it's not cool. It's not cool. And my paycheck was nil. And I yeah. was like a skinny little musician that was just running around. I mean, I was really lean, but not in a good way. I was just playing songs and, you know, trying to figure out like, what is this stuff in me? What is this ear I have? Right. I talked about this empathetic, high EQ and empathetic ear. What is this? I didn't know how to use it. So I, so I didn't use it or I overused it or I abused it or I surrounded myself with the wrong people that I would work with and then become sick from it, right? Like emotionally or stressed or something. So I didn't know how to use anything in me. 
And that was a point in time where I put like a stake in the ground and said, I have to start figuring this out because there's a great big world out there and I have goals. And I, and I, I always knew on transformational leadership, I always knew I see myself out in front of people having a dialogue telling them something and they tell me something and I tell them something and they send something back and driving that to greater answers, revelations, new ways of working, new views, new feelings, breakthrough. I always knew that. I always envisioned that. So yeah, something happened at 25 where I started really having this awakening and seeking more, which, and fast forward, here we are. (laughs) And I, you said this earlier, I, we weren't recording, but I really loved it. And it was that well, what you're describing, like you had to look within yourself, yeah, right? Like what's going on within me? So can you share with the listeners, like if they're like, I don't even know where to start, what would you, what would you suggest to them or share with them? About the process of looking within? Yeah, yeah. Find a way, people. Find, find something. Find a practice of something that is not just going to the job and doing the thing and coming home at night and being with your family and doing that thing where you're in these great roles, but like maybe it's a mindfulness or finding the space between like, I read in your book that you were a runner for a period of time. Maybe you still are a runner and how that was place you went every day and we're, you were in a flow of some kind. You were moving your body in a repetitive motion and chasing this, what they call the runner's high and, and swirling everything around and finding some meditative inner moment, working thoughts out or not listening to music, just clearing. We, as we're very complex, the world is busy and social media is both amazing and a poison. You have to find some space to find you and explore there. And if if you're uncomfortable going into your own space or mindfulness or yourself, that's okay. I was scared in that age 25 time. I needed a lot of help. I needed people to actually come in with me those first few years and shine the light for me and go, hey, look, good quality, good person. Try that tomorrow. And I would buck it. I'd be like, no. And I do my best thinking on whatever the life or work problem was, my best thinking. Then I come back and they're like, how'd that go? And I'm like, not great. They want to fire me from this crappy job. (laughs) <laughs> and they're like shining the light. They're like, okay, try that thing. And after maybe 20 times, I tried the thing. So it's being willing to go in yourself. And if you can't bring someone in, there's so much out there. Coaches, exec coaches, life, business, nutrition, physical trainers, therapists of all different kinds. There's so much. Mentors, spirituality. Find someone to help shine a light and you'll figure it out in time and you can grow if you're willing to say, I don't know, and let some some other guide in for a moment. And that's been a, a series of guides have been in with me, helping me become me. This isn't me reading books and doing podcasts. It's a <laughs> lot. There's a lot of people behind everything I'm saying that have taught me this. Yeah. And, and I love that because I think also what can happen is, especially as adults, right, we, we go through high school, we go through, if you go to college or in the military or whatever you choose to do after. Yeah. And through those times you have coaches, you have teachers, you have, you know, these people that are helping you work towards the things that you want and the things that, you know, 
are to accomplish. But then sometimes we get in a career or we take a job where we're just being told, we're allowing to be told what to do and we're no longer growing. We no longer seek out that coach. We no longer seek out that person that we can really learn from. And I Mm -hmm. think that's where we can get stuck because, you know, there's a lot of good, good leaders out there. And then there's a lot of not so good leaders out there. Yeah. And if someone's not, that's another nightmare of mine that I wake up one day and I haven't grown or I'm still a 18 year old Jen with 22 year old react, emotional reactionary Jen with 28 year old, how I was at, at, at a professional job, Jen. And just to be clear, because I use this number, I'm 42 right now. I'm 40. <laughs> that's, that's where we are in time. <laughs> and I, I want to keep growing and, and I have goals to keep growing. And, and I don't know how to get to these new places. I just don't. I've, I've surrendered to that a long time ago. And so I take the coaching very well because I feel like I'm off the book. I, yeah. I, I went as far as kind of uh, formal education and my, my upbringing could bring me. And I, I thank you for all of that. I need more. I want to go to higher heights. So I bring, I enlist a lot of help. Yeah. Help is, is key. I have a lot of people that help me as well. And so yeah. that's, you know, it's, it's, you can't, you can't do it on your own. Right. And you shouldn't, I feel like you shouldn't want to do it on your own, right? Like if, I think if you get in that mindset where you're like, where you feel like I have to do this and I have to do it on my own, I'm the, you know, it won't work unless I do it. I think that's a, that's a scary place to actually be. Scary. It's scary. And we've all done it on our own. That's in something at some point, work-wise, personally wise, spiritually, whatever. And just wasn't getting me where I needed to be. I needed a lot of help. And, and, and I'm talking like all the areas, obviously professionally and emotionally, mentally with like therapy kind of realms, mental health, nutritionally, I've needed help because I would just really screw that up. I would just eat the wrong stuff and then feel like crap. And then I couldn't perform well to spiritually and just understanding like, okay, this bigger picture and how do I plug into it? and building a bigger picture for myself so that it's not all just about this, for me, this stuff on the ground every moment of every day. Yeah. And I love that, that you point that out because it is all the things, right? It's not, it's never just one thing. And those of my listeners know that I talk about that all the time. Yeah. It's in your book. Yeah. It's never just one thing that's, you know, it's, it's all the things and it's just giving them a little bit of attention, right? Like we don't have to be perfect and it's a part of the journey and the discovery. And it's like, no, it's like move your body once a day, move it. Yeah. Yeah. 10 minutes, 15 minutes, whatever you got, if you make it an hour, wow, you are great. You know, like it doesn't have to be like this. I have to go to the gym. I have to put in 60 minutes and 30 minutes of cardio and 25 minutes of this and stretching. And it's like, just, move. <laughs> yeah. Just move. And, and maybe you drive towards some kind of structured program like that. Maybe you yeah. don't. And right. it's okay. And that's another, that's another big realm of mine, physical. I've enlisted a lot of help there. Because otherwise, see that couch behind me? That, that's like fine. That's good enough. It's so comfortable. That's where I'll just default to every day and just go, this is good enough. This is fine. So yeah. I, I enlist a lot of help. And then I'm a big, uh, I'm big on accountability. I'm mm-hmm. big on accountability. Mm-hmm. And I will show up for those appointments I make in all those realms. And I yeah. tell people I'm coming and I don't want to be the person that doesn't show up. So I show up for that, which is showing up for me. And do that enough times in any one of these realms, even at work, 
show up to my professional corporate job every day, consistently the same way over five years, they're going to turn to me eventually and go, can you do the next thing? You've been here a while. You've survived every, can you do the next big project or can you grow? And so much of showing up is, is a part of the formula as well. Yeah. Yeah. Accountability and then showing up. That's, I mean, I would, I, I have to do that. I have to either know I'm going to meet someone to go for a workout or I'm going to pay money. There it is. So I'll show up. Yes. Yeah. The money keeps me really accountable when money comes out of my pocket, but it's rather than look at it as just money out of my pocket. I look at it as an investment in myself and, uh, you know, I work in a business corporate enterprise, so I get very enterprisey in my thinking, (laughs) but it works. It it gets me there. And if I don't show up for my own money, then I'm a complete wreck. That's, that's just irresponsible. Yeah, Yeah. 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 Totally. So, okay. What are, I know that a lot of this is really not necessarily the books, not necessarily the podcast, but it's like the people that you've brought into your life to help you, just the experiences, just living, right? But if there was a book, if there was a podcast, if there was a few tangible things people could go out and say, oh yeah, I'm going to get that book or what, do you have anything that you want to share that is pretty cool. Yeah. My version of pretty cool might not be other people's version of pretty cool. I have to say that in a different way most of the time too. Yeah. So don't let the all black clothing um, make fool you. Am I cool? I don't know. But I'll tell you one thing that I think everyone thinks is universally cool that I'm talking a lot about and dissecting right now, and it's confidence. Mm -hmm. And I get questions from people recently, especially because the emceeing of a big conference is a big out, outward performance. And so people are really seeing you and they're like, how are you so confident? And then they go like, you're just, you you were Lady Gaga born that way. And I'm like, (laughs) well, yes and no. I really worked for this. Like what you're seeing is so much work in all those systems I talked about and work and professional. It was so much work and so much humiliation and so much failure and so much feedback and getting it wrong. And then when I get feedback coming back, like ferociously willing to change it in a different direction, like that's where this comes from. I didn't just, I wasn't just born this way. Maybe there's some proclivity for Hold it. Hold on. Can I jump in there real quick? Yes, yes. I'm sorry to interrupt, but Please. you just said something that, that did something inside of me. When someone gives you feedback, yeah. You said you come back and you're ferociously like, okay, I'm how obsessed. do I? Right. So that's like, that's interesting to me because part of me is like, I wonder where she got that from. And then the other part of me is like, why can't everyone be like that? Because some people get feedback and they retract. And it hurts. Yeah. And it hurts. And, and look, yeah. it hurts. I'm human. It hurts. And I have to go through an ingestion process. Sometimes it's not pretty. And I fight in this like way, right? My blueprinted way. Right, Um, right. I'll fight with it and I'll wrestle it. But that's between me and me Mm. or me and some other like private, like, or I'll share with my wife. That's not for me to go into the person and defend myself. So it hurts, but I'm obsessed with why they think it. What's the psychology? But what's, what am I putting out that says that this is a really interesting thing, ready? My general counsel at my first legal ops job, which was a startup in New York, was retiring finally because 
Cisco Systems and came along and acquired this little startup called Tamborg. And he wasn't going to go work at Cisco. And, and he set me up to fly up into this company. And so he's he's on his way out. And we're having our boxing up his office last day and like a closeout meeting. And he gives me constructive feedback. And he goes, Jen, I just want you to know that it's been great working with you. I've enjoyed, like, we liked each other a lot. And he was a good mentor. And he said to me, I just want you to know, like you and the whole team, your work ethic, the way you work is about as good as a government worker, like the output wise. He's like, you just don't put anything out. Your work quality is not great. You barely show up. You like clock in and clock out. And, and you resemble the work ethic of that industry or vertical, not corporate. And he's like, bye, have a nice life. And I wrestled. I'm still wrestling with what he told me, still wrestling with what he told me. And I went into Cisco Systems Inc., their legal tech team. And I was so obsessed with this that I showed up and I was like, I'm never going to be viewed like that again. Fire all the jets, go so hard, do too much work, go, just go very hard and change that perception. I didn't like how that sat with me. It made me feel like I was underachieving. Mm. I was actually, I was actually underachieving. And I flipped it through this obsession and not feeling good with it sitting on me and it hurt. And no one would know probably those early days at Cisco that the reason I was on fire was coming from a place of negative to positive yeah. and like flipping something. So I, the, the constructive feedback works if you want yeah. it to. Right. Yeah. It's, it, that's the thing. It's like the constructive feedback. I feel like taking it in we shouldn't take it in as if we are less than or we're deficient in a way. No. We should take it in as this is an, another door opening for an opportunity of discovering. Yeah. How do people, but people, I think, go the deficient route. And they I think- do. I, I used think to do that. Poor women. Us poor women. I think being a woman just invites itself to like imposter syndrome. Like, why, yeah. why don't all women have imposter syndrome? I don't I hear know. guys talking about it as much. <laughs> Women are just like, are we even a person? I know. Yeah, that's some deep programming for sure. But yeah, gosh, that's so good. That's so good that you can take it and you do, you wrestle with it because it's not easy. I mean, nothing that's worth, I don't want to say worth having, but I mean, I mean, you're an incredible person, right? And to, to be to where you are now, like you couldn't be that person at 25, right? You had to go through the things you went through and discover and there's all these things. And I think that that is noteworthy because there's so many young people that are in their early 20s and they're comparing themselves to yeah. people like you, to people like me. And then they're feeling deficient and, you know, I was working with a young man that I coach and he's mid twenties and he said, I just, I get jealous and I, and jealousy mm -hmm. kept coming up. And what's interesting about jealousy, cause I have felt it too. And I believe jealousy is truly when we're witnessing a quality or something in someone else that we know we have the potential or we know we have the, we could do that. We're just not there yet. And, and we can't allow it to beat us up, but to be curious and to say, okay, what, who do I need to let in? How can I change this? How, what, what else can I do here to grow? So yes. I just, I really appreciate your story. Yeah. I really appreciate the guy in his twenties feeling that I just, that really, that was my twenties. Yeah. 
it's we're figuring it out. And it's funny, once you, you're a little older than each age or decade before, you look back on that time. It's some weird, it's like some fun. I have a fondness for that time. <laughs> yeah. But when, in that time, I did not know up from down. I just wrote songs, my feelings into song and played it a lot over and over. And I would rehearse it to death so that I could go deliver it in a band and on stage. That That's so I just focused on the thing and executed at work <laughs> and didn't know what was going on. And to, to really super roundabout answer your question, a friend of mine went through a breakup recently and he was reading The Confidence Gap by Russ Harris. And it's a very workbook kind of uh, literature, almost to the tune of like the artist's way. And does, does your book, your book is workbooky? Some books have like- A little write, bit, yeah. Yeah, like right yeah. alongside so you can do exercises. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And because I love my friend and I loved what he was saying from this book, I blasted through the confidence gap. And he talks about confidence and building it through- building this macro picture of conf, air quote confidence in you through a series of micro confidence behavioral wins. So when I look back on my, like at this time I keep mentioning in my twenties, I was not confident in myself, but if I sit with this guitar and play that song 618 times and sing it and rehearse it and maybe even record it and hear it back and go, Ooh, that's how it sounds. Change this more that tighten up my rhythm, repeat that enough. And then you go do the show and then you deliver it to 600 people and you get feedback from them. Well, even if they're just looking at you, you get a lot of data from that's a dialogue. And then that makes you something. And then you do 600 shows and that makes you something more. And I don't know if I was the most confident musician at the time, maybe in all of those micro moments. But when I look back on that time now, I go, I confidently I was a musician performing to in dive bars to tens, dozens, hundreds of people. And then fast forward. So I emceed something the other week in Las Vegas. And there was an audience 2,500 to 3,000. And I was getting up there talking just like this. Same tone, same me, same jokes. Some was written. Some was ad hoc, kind of impromptu. And I was confident. And I, I have wells back there of microphone, stage, light voice me and I have it back there and this book was a wonderful framework and articulation of how you can do that through small focused wins so you should tell your guy that your 25 year old guy client yes you're not confident now what are you going to do about what are you doing today what, what are your goals this week what are your goals this month what are your goals at that job you're at that you're not sure this is your career you hate that career path great but you're making a living and supporting yourself. What a win. What are your goals outside of that? What do you like to do? Are you going to go to, you like bodybuilding. What's your goal this week for your bodybuilding plan or your book writing plan or your learning guitar? And you can just make goals, set goals, make plans and just behave in new directions and see where they pull you because they'll pull you if you show up to them with discipline and, uh, and action plans around it. Yeah. I love it. You're like, you don't like your job. Great right? Like, great. Like there, there's a lot of information there and, yeah. you know, but it's supporting your family, leverage that, and then yeah. start sprinkling in the actions that are going to lead you more in the direction of what you truly want. Yeah. So good. Oh my yeah, gosh. Sometimes we don't like our jobs. It's okay. It's very normal, but you know what I like? I like that thing I just bought because I worked that job. I liked the, the act of 
expanding my life with what am I looking at over there? I just got the Gucci Adidas sneakers that Harry Styles was wearing in an interview. Talk about stuff you do not need in life and being extra. But it was there was a moment in time and I just treated myself to something ridiculous. And the sneaker actually reminded me of childhood, too, because it was mm. an Adidas gazelle. Yeah. So I was like, fun. And now I had like a fun little wow out with sneakers in a moment. And I liked that. And, le and let me tell you, I bought those with confidence <laughs> also. Yes. But yeah. Confidence is really a big theme right now. And I think it's everything we should all be in the lab on as people, as adults uh, growing. And I think anyone can have it. Yes. All you have to do is the work. And this book uh, really reminded me of all of that. Oh, that's so great. I, see, I believe that we are born with confidence mm -hmm. and it gets kind of beaten out of us. Yeah, like stepped on. And then we have to like, Recover. you know, rediscover it. <laughs> yes. Uh, what if we do? What if we're born just like full, um, like the slate is just like there. It's full. It's, it's level, like a perfect slate. Yeah. And what if, a, what if our life and the actions and all of our choices are just a series of things to do like reconnaissance to get back to the pure slate of who we are and un yeah. undoing, you keep mentioning deprogramming. I think that's, yeah. Sounds like that's a big theme in, in your in your work, in your writing, in yes. your coaching, in your business. Mm -hmm. Definitely. It's always the, the untethering of all the things that we've made up because we are. So we're born with an, we're born with this amazing brain, this expansive brain. And then what happens is we start having things happen to us. And then around seven, eight years old is when our analytical mind really takes over. Mm -hmm. And then we start to create these neural networks that are very strong. Think of them as, you know, you, you had this whole house and all the lights were on, yeah. but then as, as you get older, certain lights turn off and you only play in certain rooms. Well, who the hell told you you could only play in certain rooms? Like, let's turn on all the lights and let's see what we can, we can discover. Um, so it's that neuroplasticity, like you brought up earlier, and it's molding back a new brain and an expanding brain and you can and you can do that at any point in your life any point we're we any can point. still grow is what the new science says with neuroplasticity it means you can keep expanding your brain after 25 when your brain is physically done growing yep yeah super cool right people i mean that's the biggest hack there is like yes we can you can change and behave your way into any new path with work and focus. Yeah. And then if you don't know how, get a, you can get a little help. Get a little help. Yeah. I mean, our brain is the strongest pharmacy on planet Earth. You can literally change how you're feeling right now by choosing to smile, by just laughing out loud for no apparent reason. Like yeah. we don't even realize how powerful we, re we really are. And so it's it's when we allow the ex external and negative ways yeah. to come and download miss literally download viruses essentially in our brains that kind of screw up how everything's firing and wiring. And so it's recognizing what's going on and what doesn't feel good and what doesn't seem right. And just being confident to say, Hey, I want to change that. And with me changing this doesn't mean something's wrong with me. It just means I want to wire this differently, more efficiently, more effectively. So yeah, yeah. you're, you're hitting on one of my favorite things to do also, which is pattern recognition mm -hmm. in, in our behavior and 
being willing to pattern recognize things in yourself or in other people as a leader, I'm always looking for patterns in the feedback they get or the feedback I get, the good feedback, the constructive feedback. Like I've heard enough from people that I'm, conf- I'm quote confident. Um, so I'm like, oh my God, more than three people have said this. I must be confident. Like this is how my brain, I'm like, really? I am. I guess I am. I come off this way, even though sometimes I have doubt over or imposter yeah. syndrome over something. Mm-hmm. And I see it in other people. And as a leader, I, I want to help shine the spotlight on how they're doing something in their project work or at work so they can do it better, more efficiently or faster at, or at a bigger pay next year, bigger compensation. And I think that's a really important part of the game is recognizing all of this, which yeah. not all can right, without help. Yeah. It takes work. It takes work. So if you were to recommend some different books what would those books be? Oh, good. This is a good one. You know, I love these. I love books that get at psychology, behavioral change. I mean, everything Brene Brown. I'm like, okay, I love you. And and you're a social worker. And she's a researcher, which I love about her. She has the studies behind it all. So it's not, it's not like, you know, there's a lot of these new books out that are like, that have the word like, in the title and written by guys named Mark. And it's like, how to do something something in five minutes. Like I blast through those and I remember nothing, Uh, but there's always good stuff in them, but they're not research-based, but Brene Brown is research-based. And I, I, I appreciate that because when she talks about how to really program yourself for courage and leadership and showing up and exercises, it's coming from a real place. Other books I like to read aside from all of these leadership books that I inhale. I, I, I try to do better. I read Atomic Habits a few years ago, and that, that was a big game changer for me, James Clear's book on, mm-hmm. again, starting really small with goals and discipline and just hammering at, sometimes looking at just the system of your work versus the outcome and trust that a system of a lot of high productivity, discipline work will get you to outcomes. Yes. Maybe you didn't even know where your endpoint. You should tell your 25-year-old client that. Just <laughs> go and do stuff Yeah. over and over and like yeah. tight action plans and see where it takes you. You might find you want to be, I don't know, a record producer. Right. So those books. And then I'm trying to do better reading fiction. Mm. And it's just not where I reach, but same, (laughs) same for you. You're just, you're in the brain science all the time. I love science. I love brain science and behavior, but I'll say this. I read, I read Pachinko recently. And that's because this is because my wife is a writer and above me is a built-in bookshelf with hundreds of books. And most of it is fiction. Oh wow! And she writes fiction and You're surrounded read, by it. surrounded by books. And <laughs> I every time I pull up my Kindle app when we, I have these kinds of convos with people, they're like, "What are you reading? What do you read?" I pull it up, and her library comes up first, and I'm like, <laughs> "Wait a minute!" With seven thousand books on, like, and like her, she majored in the classics. Oh, so this whole section is like the Odyssey and seven different versions of it. And then whenever I say anything to her in for life advice, wife advice, she's like, oh, well, it's like an Othello or she's like, oh, this is like act two of this Shakespeare play. And I'm like, whoa, I say all this because 
I force myself into fiction. I tell her once in a while, I ask her, like, give me one book to read right now. And I read it as an assignment. Like she told me yeah. to read this, read this. So I read Pachinko. And is it Ming Jun Lee, the author? And it just got optioned for, or it's being put into an Amazon show, Amazon mm. original. And it's like post-Korean war, Korean family that relocated to Japan. And it's a story of a woman through the generations of the family, of womanhood through the generations. And reading fiction and going into other people's story is learning empathy because you're in literally in someone else's head and story and they take you on a journey. And if you let yourself go there, I'm like, I'm in Japan every night before I go to bed reading. And, and what that does for my imagination and my own creativity and where I've gone, it, it, it takes me places and maybe makes me have more value to add to people every day. So I'm a big fan of just read a fiction book yeah. once in a while. And there was another book I read about decision-making theory, and I can't remember the title or the or the author. I'll give it to you after. But he said one of the best ways to learn empathy and to learn about the world is through fiction. And he kind of inspired me to get into other people's story more because there's so much in story and in narrative for us to learn. And then apparently, according to my wife, it's all been written in the classics that we're all on repeat. Yeah. None, none of this is all that interesting because it all actually ties back. So I get a classic. Yeah. There's not a day that goes by in my house that Shakespeare doesn't come up just casually. <laughs> the guy, the guy. So there's a lot back there and it's important. And look, shows all come from story. It's important for us to like get lost in story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I read, oh gosh, what was her book? The gal that wrote, oh my gosh, I'm picturing her face right now. But she makes up all these fictional stories. And it's what show was that on TV? Oh my gosh, I can't even think of it. Shonda. Oh, Shonda Rhimes. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Shonda is another queen in our household. She, okay, so she's. I've read her book. Yeah. So she's a fiction queen for me because when I read her book, it made me, it was like I started to go back when I was a kid to think of all the stories I would make up in my own head. And I'm like, where did that go? It's still there, but I get so focused on, you know, the science and this and that. So I, I definitely appreciate fiction and people that are in their adulthood and able to be creative like that. Cause you're right. It does take you on a journey and it's so good for neuroplasticity in our brain because it forces your brain to think differently and to experience differently with, you know, vision and all that. So that's I super think that's cool. the other big coin I would talk about here. If we could flip it is creativity and how much of that we all have crave having us want benefit from how me being creative helps me be a better leader. And I forget this sometimes to, let's see, August, 2021, I basically took off a month from work at Netflix and the trade group I'm on the board of. I did nothing. And all I did that month was write. I'm a musician, right? So I wrote songs I took them into the studio and I let them get very big. And I was like, we need a string quartet. Boom. We brought one in. We need a choir. (laughs) Boom. We went and found one and made this big composition and we'll release it at some point soon under some new artist name. And it was amazing. I came back to work September. It took me a couple of weeks to ramp up again. And I was a different leader because I was immersed in a creative, iterative process, writing, 
storytelling, figuring out what is the story of this three minute song, this three and a half minute song? Like, what's the story in the slides you're going to do to your manager about your strategy? What's the story? How do I get from verse to chorus? To, is there a hook? What's the call to action? All of this. Um, it's really important we go there. And I don't think anyone goes there enough unless you happen to be a creative that is blessed and cursed with I need to go there or else I'm yes. not a nice person. Yes. And it's so last weekend, I actually signed up to go on this retreat up in the mountains. It was oh. just a few hours and it was like an art retreat for women. Yeah. And I normally don't do stuff like that. Yeah. But one thing I've noticed is like, I need to do more things outside of the comfort yeah. zone I'm in. And it was really cool to go up there and do some art things and be creative. And what was interesting is how many people said, I'm not creative. People, you're wrong. <laughs> well, and I, even I was thinking, I'm like, oh gosh, I'm not as creative. I don't, how many, and then I'm like, get out of your head, just no, do it. That's like just a weird trust tape. The leader and do it. Yeah. It's just like weird negative self talk. Like, remember when we were all kids and we all colored? Yes. And we all drew. And if it was good or bad, we still did it and we put it on the wall. Right. And you made a house out of popsicle sticks. What happens? What is going on in college that they just rinse that out of us and it goes yeah. away? Yes. No, I. 100%. 100%. Yeah. So I actually, with my daughter, we went to the store. And we bought blank canvases and a bunch of paint. So cool. And so my kitchen has just been, you know, it's summertime. So there's paint and canvases and we're just painting. And then my daughter had a breakdown the other day because her stars didn't look like stars in her sky. And as a parent, I'm like, you know, no, like th these are your stars. However, art, it's not right or wrong. It's yeah, however it comes out for you. How did they look? Did they, they look like the tops of palm trees? They were just like, huh. They were just like blobs, you know, like, yeah. you know what? The This is interesting though for me because I first wanted to come over and grab her brush and do it for her. Yeah. And I literally had to stop myself from doing that because I wanted to just take over and fix it for her, what she didn't like. And I'm like, I can't do that. So she kept saying, well, will you fix it? Because I, and I wanted to, I'm like, no. Like this is your this is your art and it's gonna come out fine. And she ended up working through it and it and of course it was fine, but she just turned 10. Wow. And that's you know, that's that analytical age, 7910, and it's like whoever said a star, these flickering things in the sky that are millions and billions of miles away are supposed to look a specific way on a canvas, right? So it's just Interesting the diversity in stars. It's not just the <laughs> five point one that you get in the yellow emoji. It could have twenty seven points and look like they're a wilted palm tree. Yeah, um, absolutely. I love that you resisted the urge to just take the pen and give her an outline, and then yeah. go, "Okay, fill it in." That is something in management uh, and in leadership. I I really wrestle with is yeah. when do I micro task and tell. And when do I go back and go, I'm taking you to the, I'm taking you to the edge of the sea to learn, like to, to yearn, to, to learn how to sail and be out there and not to say, there's your boat, there's your, and, and prescribe. And I actually really struggle with that because I'm a bit bossy, <laughs> a, but it works. Assertion works when, yeah. when pointed in the right direction forward or when there's a lack of clarity and vision or direction on a team. Sometimes they come to me and they go, here are all the options. What do we do? And I might point. 
Yeah. But I'm getting better as a leader and saying, well, what do you, what do you think we should do? Especially with my managers, what do you think we should do? Talk me through it, which yeah. is me saying to them, sell me on your yes. data and vision for yes. a decision. And I'll go down their thinking path and debate a little down there and go, this sounds like a plan mm -hmm. or I'm not sold. And then we'll come back here and look at other options, but I struggle to not draw it all. Yeah. And I think that's a really good thing. Like for those that are listening, like if you find yourself always jumping in, yeah, that should be like a, just a little warning, like, Hey, what is possible if I just step back for a second? Yeah. And look, we have to evaluate the person you're in this dynamic with, like, right. Mm -hmm. More junior people in career that come into a corporate level job and they're called like an analyst, right? And they're two <laughs> years in. The name of the game of a job at that level might be not a lot of autonomy or decision making. They need the box drawn mm -hmm. and maybe a couple shapes within and some tasks. So maybe that's their job. But I know for me, where I'm at in my career right now, for me, I'm like a director of Ops and Tech at Netflix. It's not a good match for me with my vision machine up here <laughs> to be coaching or managing at depth with a person at that level. That's a great opportunity for a new manager or a growing manager that reports to me or, or some other, right? Like talking levels. And these, this, this is a good way to have levels. It's to help people at the right level have the right matches. So that person knows how to grow them because they were there recently and can gain more management chops at that with that wonderful exchange too. So it's, it's important to know the other end, but I shouldn't be drawing all the shapes for say my leadership team that report to me. I'm drawing, I have like a broad shape drawn. Like I think this thing, you think this? Yes. Okay. Go fill it all in. And if you exceed the lines on the shape I drew, amazing. Tell me where <laughs> we're going creatively. Yeah. And I, I want to yeah. follow you and redraw to that. So it's really fun. Leadership is really a lot of drawing and <laughs> redrawing and, and inviting people up to that canvas and going, I like your star. Mm. Never would have drawn a star that way. Thank you. Mm. Oh, I love that. Invite people up to the canvas. Yeah. So good. Well, awesome. Jen, do you have anything else that you want to leave the listeners with before we end this podcast? No, I'll just pull the book I was referencing. Here's another one, Farsighted by Steven Johnson. How okay. do we make the decisions that matter the most? He gets into a lot of decision theory. Hmm. Johnson really loves wars. And he, a lot of it was like, Theodore Roosevelt, back in the war. So it gets like that. But my one takeaway from this book, which I plowed through because I wasn't having fun reading it. So it's okay to speed read, people. Speed read. Yeah. Don't think you have to take in every word, just blast and you'll get the concepts. Was reading fiction is a path into empathy. If you don't have a great place to practice, you know, diversity and being amongst diverse crowds every day. What if you live remotely in like some mm -hmm. form in Montana and you don't know how to practice inclusion and diversity because you're not out there in like the city of whatever. Read yeah. fiction, read books, grow your mind, grow your understanding of experiences, and it'll make you better at whatever you're doing personally, professionally, mentally, spiritually. Mm, so good. I love it. Well, Jen, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks. And oh my gosh, I can't wait for everyone to hear this episode. Thank you for having me. And I uh, look forward to seeing you out there again. 
Thanks for joining us today, you guys, on this Happy Whole You podcast. We are so stoked that you are listening. And if you have questions or want to reach out to us, you can always email us at info at happyholeyou.com. And you know where to find us at Happy Whole You on Facebook and at Happy Whole You on Instagram. So have a wonderful day. Have a great week. And we will see you soon.